Open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, and uh, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV today, just for the sake of the projection. You know, a good way to test where your church is, um, where your church is at in their Bible literacy is to tell them to turn to Habakkuk and see how long it takes for people to get there. (laughs) The smart ones use the table of contents, I'll tell you that. And there's no shame in it. Don't ever feel shame for how long it takes you. Because you know what happens when you do? You fake it. And I've been there. I've been there. I've been the teenager that did that. Where I realized I was the pastor's son. And I memorized all the books of the Bible. There was even a song I learned later that Mrs. Davidson had a song. I didn't know there was a song. I thought you just had to learn it dry. And uh, I remember... A guest speaker would come and say, turn in your Bibles to this, and I would give it a good shot. And when I noticed people stopped turning, or you remember when people used to say, say amen when you get there. Well, after a certain amount of people say amen, you start to feel real nervous that you haven't got there. There's that one brave soul that like five minutes into it, you hear them say, amen. (laughs) And everybody looks at you. Good for you. Good for you because you just did it, you know, and I I admire that about that person. I was not that person. If I didn't get there a certain period of time, I faked it. I want you to know there is no shame in taking a little bit longer to find a book, and there's no shame in looking at the table of contents, and there's no shame in getting those tabs installed on your page. Whatever gets you there, as long as you're opening your Bible and reading it, I'm happy, all right? So we're going to turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, and uh, I... Habakkuk 2 is often used, you'll notice that you probably know this chapter better than you think you do. The part you probably know about it has been quoted all the time, which is write the vision, make it plain so that people may run with it. That's not what we're reading today. We're going to read what comes before that. Habakkuk chapter 2, and we're going to go to right to verse 1. The prophet says this, now, Most of what we remember from Habakkuk 2 is what God says to the prophet. But today I want to start out with what the prophet says before he hears from God. Anybody here want to hear from God? Praise the Lord. It's a good group of people. You want to hear from God? I want to hear from God. I want to hear from God whatever he wants to say to me. I'm I'm not wanting today to pick and choose what I hear. There's a part of me that wants that. I'll be honest with you. There's a part of me that wants to say to God, only tell me what I want to hear. But I'd much rather hear everything he wants to say. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, the prophet says this, I will stand on my guard post. I will station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And how I may reply when I am reproved. Now in the ESV it says concerning my complaint, but I really do like the way the New American Standard says it here. Because if you look at it, that's what he's saying. I'm going to wait. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait for the Lord. And I'm going to wait for what he has to say to me. And I'm going to listen not only to what he has to say to me, but how I should respond When I'm reproved. 
Now, he's going into this expecting that God's going to say some things, that he's going to have to shift, that there's things that are going to change him. There might be things that God says to him in correction and discipline. And he's saying, Lord, how do I respond to your reproof? How, and just so you know, some of you might be wondering, what does reproof mean? Reproof means, it means that this is, this is a, a, a word of correction. This means this is a word of 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 God saying, hey, there's something you need to change. This is, this is when you're kind of going down a certain path and God says, take a turn or shift back on course. We, of course, know that the Bible tells us in the New Testament, he tells pastors and leaders that, that the word of God is supposed to be used not only for teaching and training, but also for rebuke and reproof. He says, teach the word at all times, rebuke, reprove. Exhort with all patience. That's a part of my job I don't necessarily relish. That every now and then there's got to be correction. Not just from, not just, well, the, the pastor gets to correct people. No, no, the pastor needs to be corrected by God too. And not just by God, by people. There's people in my life that are in my life to correct anything they see in me. And I've, I've given them that space in my life. You know, you don't, you don't just have strangers on the street come up and correct you. You know that, right? You don't just have just anybody. There are people in your life that you let into your life that you say, I trust this person, that God can use them to correct something in me that I don't see. And there's times where God will do that by his spirit, by his word. In fact, that's the most common way where God will speak to you. In fact, how many times does that happen during a service? Where, where whatever's being preached isn't even a, necessarily a word of correction. It's just the word of God being preached and the Holy Spirit points something out in you and says, you need to change this. You need to shift this. I, 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 want, I want to uh, take this and, and, and replace it with this. One of the greatest things in your life you can learn is how will I respond? Not just what God will say, but how do I respond to correction? How do I respond to when he reproves me? How do I respond when I find out I've been running the wrong way and he says, here's the right way? Because that's the sign of a mature believer. That's the sign of a disciple. Everybody hears, but not everybody allows themselves to respond to it in a way that's going to cause growth. And so the prophet says, I'm going to stand up here and I'm waiting to hear what he says. And I'm also waiting to find out how I should respond to what he says when I'm reproved. This is not my favorite topic in the world, being corrected. Do you know, it is, <laughs> it's not my favorite thing in the world to be corrected, but I want it. I love it. That's what the Proverbs say. It says a, a wise man loves correction. A wise man loves correction. You might say, what's wrong with that guy? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of masochistic guy loves correction? What's wrong with you? Nobody likes that. Well, you might not like it at the moment, but you like what it does. Right? I mean, some of, you, some of you guys will go to the gym. Some of you go to the gym, you work out. You don't always feel great when you're doing what you're doing. Sometimes it feels good. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it burns. But the result of this will be good. The result of this is going to be good. I want you to read you something from Hebrews and... and and I'm, I'm thankful for the word of God in Hebrews that, that, that reminds us that we are loved. And that's important for you to know is that I am 
That's one of the first great revelations you have to receive is that God loves me. Because if you don't know God loves you, you, you won't be able to be corrected by God, right? How many of you have ever seen a dog that's been abused and that somebody adopted, right? You've seen that dog that's been abused, somebody adopted, took it in. When you reach out your hand to pet that dog, what does that dog do? Gets back. Why? Because it's expecting to get hit. I've, I've spent time with kids that have been abused. And it's very, as those kids grow up, there's times where you want to say something to them. And you might say, oh, why don't you, okay, you're doing good, but let's change this. And, and until those kids can recognize that you love them, and that you're not out to hurt them, it's very difficult for them to receive any correction. Because when they did something wrong before, they got smacked for it. So they think, well, you know, if I do something wrong now, I'm going to get smacked again. But you have a father that loves you. And he loves us enough to discipline. And he loves us enough to correct us. And this is a big chunk, a huge chunk of a believer's life is learning how to respond to that correction. Now, I want to just ask you just right now to analyze, just think about this. Don't say it out loud. Don't write it down unless you need to write it down. When's the last time the Lord corrected you? Just think. Just try to think of a moment. If you're having trouble thinking of a moment, there are two possibilities. Number one, you're the perfect one amongst us. If you're the perfect one amongst us, come to the altar now and share with us your great wisdom. And lay hands on us weary sinners that we might see your holiness. Thank God we're holy by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Thank God he sanctified us by his blood. But the second thought, if you, have, if you don't remember the last time you've been corrected, it might not be that God hasn't corrected you. It might be that you didn't hear it because you didn't want to hear it. I can think of... <laughs> Maybe I'm just, maybe I need to fix some things, but I can think of several times in the past year, just in 2016, that the Lord has corrected something in me. And sometimes it felt good and sometimes it didn't feel good. <laughs> because I, I'll tell you, it is wonderful when God corrects you in private and you figure it out and you get to go and tell everybody, God corrected me, I figured it out. The Lord showed me this, the Lord showed me what I was doing wrong because you sound real spiritual when that happens. But heaven forbid God use somebody else because then your face is red. Oh, my goodness. But learning how to respond to that correction is the mark of somebody that's maturing in Christ. It's the mark of a disciple. I want to read you what he says in Hebrews chapter 12. He says in verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. I want to go back to that first thought. That the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. Now, this should be very encouraging for us. If I'm being corrected. Now, first of all, let's figure out what discipline is. Because I've heard people say, you know, God disciplined me by putting me in a car wreck. Well, I want to ask you a question. Would you discipline your own kid that way? No. Would you discipline your child by breaking their leg? No. Would anybody call that discipline? No. What's that called? Abuse. Abuse. Do you think our God is a child abuser? No. He's not. What's the root word of discipline? Disciple. Is there anywhere in the Bible where we find some of those? Yes. Right? In the Gospels. They're all over the Gospels. Especially 12 of them. Bonus points to anybody that can name all 12 disciples after service. You'll get a <laughs> cookie or something, all right? That and the fastest person to get to Habakkuk. Those two things get a prize at the end of the service. So these disciples, we get to watch their interaction with Jesus. Did Jesus give any of them leprosy? <laughs> Did Jesus strike any of them dead? No. But he discipled them, didn't he? He disciplined them. The end result of discipline is you are a disciple. If you want to know how God disciplines his sons, his daughters, look at how Jesus behaved with the disciples. You know, sometimes, sometimes his discipline was, was very gentle with them. Sometimes it was a bit rough. I mean, how many of you would have stayed in Pastor Jesus' church if he had said some of those things to you? Why didn't this work? Because your faith is puny. It's little. How long do I have to deal with you people? How long would you stay in that guy's church? What if every Sunday I just got up and said, how long do I have to pastor you guys? You don't do anything right. I mean, Jesus says this to his disciples. How long do I have to put up with you? But they knew he loved them. What about, if, what about if any of you had a good idea and your pastor immediately looks at you and says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Anybody feel good about that? Is that a great moment? Peter's just had huge revelation. Remember, Jesus says, who do you say I am? You're the, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He says, Peter, right on, bonus points. You get stars. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter's puffed up. He's, he's, he's on fire. And Jesus says, now I got to go. I got to die. I got to lay my life down. He says, God forbid, pity yourself, Lord. You don't have to die. And he goes from that great high to the, to the lowest low. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Have you ever been at your friend's house? Remember as a kid when you went over to your friend's house and uh, maybe it was like a birthday party and their, their parent just lost it with the kid and just yelled at him right in front of everybody and everybody just kind of looks, you know, it's that awkward silence. Everybody kind of backs off. Can you imagine being one of the other disciples? Like, Ooh, watching this happen, watching Peter get <laughs> openly rebuked. Can you imagine being Peter? 
There was such a foundation of love that nowhere in any of those rebukes did the disciples say, he doesn't love me anymore. Now first, Jesus didn't call Peter Satan. He was addressing the spirit behind what Peter said. Do you realize that by saying, get behind me, Satan, Jesus was really releasing Peter from something that had been binding him. He's rebuking that spirit. By doing that, Peter could be free. By doing that, Peter could accept something he needed to accept. But that's an awkward situation. That's tough to take. (laughs) Have you considered that the fact that, that God is correcting you or disciplining you or reproving you, have you ever considered that that's proof that he loves you? That's proof he loves you. We so often take it the other way. We let correction, when we get corrected or when something, when we feel like, man, I thought I was doing the right thing, then I found out I was doing the wrong thing, then we we question our relationship with God. Is it just me that does this? I mean, I I don't do this anymore, but there, there was a period of time where it made me question, am I okay? But you start out with the foundation. He loves me. And I can't make him love me more, and I can't make him love He loves me infinitely because I'm his child. See, this is why it's so important that Hebrews 12 begins, especially the section we're reading, that he addresses you as his kids. Do any of you have kids that that are just kind of, they're on probation whether or not they're going to be your kids anymore? (laughs) Anybody got that situation? Brooklyn, is that... Does your dad say, uh, I'm signing the papers. I got adoption papers. They're going, uh, 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 one more thing. What kind of childhood would that be if you constantly question whether you're going to be their child anymore? You'd be messed up. Our, our, our son is a sweetheart. We love him, but he's done some things before that we go, Moses, what are you doing? But I've never said, Moses, One more, and I'm giving you back. (laughs) One more. One more, we're taking back to the hospital, and we'll find somebody who will take you. And and we'll give them away for free, Moses. We don't even need money for you. His state, his, his, his relationship with us is never in question. Until you can be sure, until you can be convinced I have been adopted into the family of God. I am his child. It's impossible for you to be corrected because you'll constantly question whether he loves you. You'll constantly question whether you're still on good terms. You have to know, I am a child of God. And correction, discipline in my life is not proof that he doesn't love me. It's the opposite. It's proof that he does love me. In fact, I, you know, you may notice in Hebrews, it's quoting from the Old Testament. And I just want to read you what it says in, in, in the book of Proverbs, where this is quoting from. In fact, turn there in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs and just hold your place in, in Hebrews because we'll go back to that.
In Proverbs 3, verse 11. Now, does anybody know why Proverbs 3 sounds so familiar? What's, somebody to tell me, what's a verse you know in Proverbs 3? Anybody know a famous verse in Proverbs 3? Aha, trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's that Proverbs 3 verse we know. And some of you are saying, I didn't know there was a Proverbs 3 we were supposed to know. I didn't know there was homework. I didn't know we'd be quizzed today. But it's okay. <laughs> trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That means look for his way. And he will make your path straight. Now, I used to just imagine that God was, that, that meant that there was a crooked road in front of me and God was straightening it out before I ever got there. And part of that is true. The other part is this. When I'm walking crooked, he puts me back on a straight path. You know, one of the things that Zechariah prophesied about Jesus is that he would guide our feet back onto the way of peace. And what's implied there is that we're on the wrong path, and if we'll listen to Jesus, he'll put us back on the right path. Not everybody here tonight, today, is on the wrong path. I believe you're on the right path. But there are times where our path in front of us might be crooked, our current path might be crooked, and he wants to straighten that out. He wants to make it straight. The word correct, what does it mean? It means to make straight again. Now, here's what he says in Proverbs. Proverbs 3 and verse Let's see, where did we go? Yeah, 11, thank you. My son, do not despise, that means don't take it lightly, the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. Has anybody been weary of being reproved? I've been weary. It's one thing to be corrected. It's another thing to have back-to-back corrections. That's tough. It says don't be weary of the Lord's reproof. Now listen to this, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Don't you love that? When the father delights, delights in the son, they take the time to correct them. When a father delights in their child, they take the time to reprove them if necessary. When's the last time you were corrected by God and you said, That's proof he delights in me. Because that's the attitude we need to have. You might say, well, that's arrogant. That's not arrogant. That's going back to the fact that he loves me because he is love. Not because I'm perfect, but because he's love. And because of what Jesus did for me, God sees me through the light of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is powerful. And what he's saying today is, if I'm being corrected, if I'm being disciplined, that's proof that he loves me. That's proof that I'm his child. That's proof that he delights in me. Now, that's a tough thing to sell sometimes. Because what's your first instinct when you're corrected? Your first fleshly instinct is, ouch, and to back away. When we allow distance to come between us and God, That's the opposite of what God wants to do. That's what happens. That's that abused dog backing back. But when you you know, I know I'm loved by God. I know he delights in me. I know I'm his child. I know that's never going to change. That when he corrects you, it draws you to him. 
rather than pushes you away from Him. And a big part of my life has been learning how to respond when I'm reproved. Because I got to tell you, and I'll just be honest with you, because I'm the guy with the microphone. I'm going to be honest, there's been plenty of times I responded wrong. Plenty of times I, I let myself get hurt, offended. I put my defenses up. Isn't that the instinct? First thing you do is defend yourself. But I don't have to defend myself against God. I don't. Like I said, it's a lot more fun when God might correct something in private and then no one has to know. But there's been a couple times he's used those men and women that are in a position of authority and leadership in my life that have corrected me. And that was a bit harder because I had to admit that I didn't come to this conclusion by myself. You might say, well, why doesn't God just always do it himself? Because there are areas of our lives that are still blind spots. There's areas in my life that are blind spots to me that, that I've just gotten used to it and I don't see it anymore. Sometimes it takes, God will use somebody from the outside to say something to you, to see something you don't see. And that's because he loves you. That's because he loves you. Now, of course, going back to Hebrews, he says this, if you're not being disciplined, then you're not being treated like a legitimate child. He says that the Lord disciplines us that we might share in his holiness. And here's what gets me in verse 11. This is the one that grabs me. Verse 11, he says, no discipline feels good at the moment. <laughs> no discipline feels good at the moment. But the fruit of it is, is righteous. The fruit of it is good. The peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. I, I've had conversations. I've, I've, I've talked to people who've said, you know what? God never says anything to me that I don't feel good about. I said, well, that must be a lovely relationship you have with God. But quite frankly, the Lord says things that I'm not immediately comfortable with at times. And that's because I'm having to adapt to his worldview rather than him adapting to mine. So there are times when the Lord says something and it doesn't feel good right at the moment. But in the end, it, be, it yields good fruit in my life. If, if you live in, in, in a candy, you know, cotton candy world of lollipops and rainbows where the Lord only says, you're doing good, buddy. It might be that you are not hearing every now and then when he says, and he's not going to say you're doing bad, buddy. But he might say, hey, switch this, change this. Move this, remove this. Because the Bible says that in order for us to be, yield fruit as disciples, we have to let the Father prune. He'll cut, apart, he'll cut off the stuff that's not bearing fruit. He's not going to cut off your leg. He'll cut off the things that are not bearing fruit in your life. And sometimes you want to keep those things. Here are the reasons that it's been sometimes difficult for me to receive correction from the Lord. One of the first reasons that sometimes it's difficult for me, and I'm just saying me, sometimes it's difficult for me to receive correction from the Lord. One of the reasons is, is because I think I got my path figured out. And when I find out that there's another direction or I don't have it mapped out as, as well as I thought, I've got to admit 
that I've got some changes to make, and I like my way. When I'm, when I'm corrected by the Lord, I have to learn that there's, there's His way, and, and that's not always easy. One of the other reasons is, is because, quite frankly, it seems like sometimes we build foundations on things that aren't Christ. And when we build a foundation on something he didn't start, we, we just build on it, build on it. And he says, hey, bud, this is something that's not from me. You know, this, you need to change this. Sometimes I feel like if you pull that thread, all the other threads are going to come un, undone. But the truth is, you've got to remember, he is your father. He loves you. He would not destroy you. He would not abandon you. He would not... He would not put you in a position where you are going to be totally and utterly useless. He is going to build you up and cause you to bear fruit. You can't question his love. What does it say in 1 John? It says, perfect love casts out all fear. Why? Because fear involves punishment. Now let's address this for a minute. Some of us can't separate discipline from punishment. I want to tell you some good news today. The justice that needed to take place, the wages of sin is death. In order for justice to be done, somebody had to die for your sin. Here's the good news. It's not you. You happy about that? The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ for you. Are there still consequences? If I rob a 7-Eleven, I can't go to the court and say, I bleed the blood. (laughs) The court will say, very nice. What blood are we talking? Whose blood are we talking about? They're still going to send me to prison. I might still, there might be earthly consequences. But as far as God is concerned, when I come to him, look, he offers me forgiveness. He offers me that, 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 that even that sin is covered by his blood and I can, I can freely repent and I know that I'm clean. There might still be some consequences I have to deal with because of my actions, but they won't be God pouring out his wrath on me. That punishment was poured out on Jesus Christ. So when you're being disciplined, if you think God is angry at you and he's pouring out his wrath on you, you got to know that's, that's not what God does. That was poured out on Jesus. That was dealt with. What you have to know is when you're being disciplined, when you're being corrected, he's not doing it so that justice will be done. He's doing it because he loves you. How did Jesus discipline his disciples? They ever just throw him out of the boat and say, you know what, enough. They ever hit him over the head? No, how did he discipline him? He used his word. He corrected, he rebuked, he reproved. He put them in situations where they were forced to rely on their faith. And he taught them. And he corrected. And at times he even rebuked, but he loved them. This is what John says at the end of it. He says, those that were his own, he loved. He loved us and he loved us to the end. Do you know how much he loves you? Because when you know that, that perfect love will cast out all fear. John goes on to say 
that there'll be a day that we can assure our hearts that in the day of judgment, in that day, we can be confident because as he is, so are we in this world. That's powerful. If you still doubt the love of God, it'll be near impossible to correct you. It's near impossible for you to receive discipline because if you're questioning that love, then you think, well, that's it, he's done with me. But I want you to flip the idea around. When you're corrected, when you're disciplined, say this, that's proof he loves me. That's proof he delights in me. You know, the book of Proverbs says, don't waste your correction on a fool. Don't waste your time trying to correct a fool. Has anybody here tried to correct a fool? Yeah? You had that argument with somebody who was just like, well, you know who looks like the fool at the end of the day? You do. You look like, because you're spending all your time trying to convince this fool of something. Proverbs says, don't waste your breath on that person. Don't waste your time on them. Jesus even said, he said, don't cast your pearls before swine. These are valuable pearls. Don't just give them to people that don't appreciate it. So the very fact that God might take the time to correct and to discipline you is proof that he loves you and that you're his. That you're his disciple. So I ask you again. Now some of you might get nervous and say, well, gee, I don't remember the last time I was corrected. Does God not love me? It's not that he doesn't love you. It's not that he doesn't delight in you. It might just be you haven't been open to his correction. So I'm encouraging you today. Don't be that person that's just like, <laughs> it's like, God, talk harsher to me, talk sterner to me. God, be rough with me. I mean, like, don't, don't be weird like that. <laughs> I don't know how to deal with people like that, okay? But be open and say, God, if there's anything, if there's anything in me that needs to be pruned, prune it. If there's anything in me that needs to be removed, do surgery on me. Have any of you ever gone, and I'm not going to ask you who's been under the knife, who's ever been in surgery, but, but those of you that have been through surgery, you know, when you came out of it and said, Doc, what'd you do? Well, I cut you open. <laughs> you cut me? I thought you liked me. Why did you cut me? Doctor, what did I ever do to you? You stabbed me? No, I, 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 I cut you so that I could take something out. That's the difference between the father's discipline and and. Satan's condemnation. The Father, the Holy Spirit is the same. The Holy Spirit is a surgeon and he cuts out and he's very precise. The Holy Spirit will say, Josh, this does not belong there. I want to remove it so that you may be healed. Satan. The Holy Spirit uses this fine scalpel that doesn't leave a scar. Satan uses a butcher knife and just says, and where the Holy Spirit says, this needs to go, Satan says, you're bad. And he just stabs you over and over again. If you walk out of a conversation with God saying, he doesn't love me anymore, I'm a bad person, then you've given in to the condemnation of Satan rather than the correction of God. The correction of the Father does not say you're wrong, you're bad. I might say you're wrong right now. <laughs> it doesn't say you're bad, you're evil, you're, you're, I don't love you, I don't accept you. He points out the things that need to change. He points out the things that need to be removed. Whereas Satan just points at you. Says you're dirty, you're filthy. God doesn't love you. If you're hearing that and you're thinking it's God, I've got news, it's not God. Don't listen to that anymore. 
Because the thing is, is when God corrects and disciplines you, it draws you to him. When Satan condemns you, it pushes you away from God. And that's the opposite of what God wants. And when I correct my son, I've learned that the first thing I need to do after I correct him, because sometimes, you know, sometimes he doesn't know what he was doing was wrong. And that's, that's the times where he seems most heartbroken is when he didn't know. And so you're gentle with them when they don't know better, right? You know, you, you don't yell at them. You're gentle with them when they don't know better. But the first thing I do after I correct my son is I give him a hug. I let him know, but I still love, I love you. You're doing good. You just need to not do that anymore. Because the number one thing he's got to know is that his dad loves him. And that my disapproval of what he just did is not my disapproval of him. Because if you can't separate those things, you're going to have a messed up relationship with God. <laughs> Nobody in this church has been corrected by their pastor more than the musicians on this stage. <laughs> and I'm not correcting them about spiritual things. We, we help each other musically. We'll say, no, don't do that anymore. I'll change this. And when I was a teenager, I just wanted, you know... Uh, Jocelyn was leading at the time and she said, you know, Jonathan, just tell them how to do it musically. I had very little grease over the gears. I had very little oil over the engine. I was just very much like, we don't have time, let's get it right. <laughs> and you know, people don't receive too well like that. Even sometimes, and, and our, our musicians could tell you, sometimes we're rushing to get something done before service, and, and there are times we don't have time, we don't have time for the preface of, I just want you to know, I love you. <laughs> I want you to know that if I correct anything you say today, any, if I correct any of your playing, it's not because I don't love you. It's just simply that I want you to do something different. I want you to know that you're my special snowflake, and I love you very much. We don't have time for that. So there might be times where I just say, no, no, don't do that, do this. You, you might, there might be times during a service where we just kind of give a signal like, stop that, don't do that anymore. And it doesn't mean that you're angry. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It's just like, let's not do that anymore. But there's a foundation of, we love each other. It's because we love each other, it's very easy for us to talk this way. But if they doubted that, what if you just got in an argument in the parking lot and you said, you know what? I'm tired of you. I'm tired of everything you do. I don't want to see your face. Every time I show up on a Sunday morning, I see you, I cringe. I get sick at my stomach. I wish you'd never show up. And then after that, I correct something? It's not going to go over so smooth, is it? Because that foundation of accept, that foundation of we're, we're one, we love each other, that's gone. And correction without love, it just doesn't work. Discipline without love often leads to abuse. My parents had a rule. Now, I don't know where everybody in this room stands on spanking. I know everybody's got different ideas. I'm here to tell you, I was spanked in love. Some people are nodding their heads. <laughs> you, some people are saying, how does that work? But it worked. My parents had a rule that I would never be disciplined while they were angry. And that was a good rule. Now, sometimes it was bad for me because dad would say, when we get home, and I'd have an hour and a half to deal with this. 
Just live with it. Why, why'd they have that rule? You can ask her, why'd, you, why'd they have that rule? Now, I didn't get spanked often, but there were some times where I did, and I had it coming. I remember sitting in the Ford Econoline van. We, they had swivel seats. It was a cool van. I mean, it had a table, like a card table that you could put in. It had a sofa that turned back into a bed. It had a garbage bin. I mean, back then, that was a sweet ride. And uh, I remember sitting there. We would drive three days straight just to get to Texarkana. So sometimes mom and dad, we wouldn't stop at hotels. They'd just switch off during the night and just keep going. And I remember, I remember sitting in that chair, and all of a sudden, and my, my sister, some of you heard me say this. My sister used to rock back and forth in her chair. She used to just do that. She was rhythmic. We didn't know she turned into a drummer. We, either she's rhythmic or something's wrong with her, one or the other. <laughs> Turns out she was rhythmic, right? So she'd just be rocking in her chair all the time. And I remember a moment I had a revelation, and I thought it was from God, but it wasn't. And I just had this great revelation, and I turned in my seat, and I looked at her. And what was going on in my head, and she didn't know, but she could probably discern something was going on from the way I stared at her. I thought, if she didn't exist, I would never get a spanking. If she was never born, I would never get a spanking. Because in my mind, every single time, it was her fault. And I looked at her, and I, don't, she, I, remember, I remember swiveling over and just looking at her, and she's rocking, and she caught my glance, and she just stopped. And I'm sure a chill went down her spine. But the truth is, that's not really true. I still would have gotten in trouble. But the reason my parents didn't discipline me when they were angry is because when you discipline out of anger, that's abuse. You're not doing it out of love. See, what's, what's your goal as a parent when you, now whether it's time out or a, a stern conversation, whatever it is, what's your goal as a parent? Is it to let your emotions out? No. What's your goal? I want this kid to grow up to be better. I want them to grow up to be a healthy child. I want them to grow up to love people. I want them to grow up to love God. I want them to grow up and not have to go through the same junk I went through. When you discipline or correct your your kids, you want them to have a good life. And so you say these things to them because you love them. You do these things because you love them. If you're giving your kid a timeout because you can't stand them anymore, well, that's probably the wrong reason to give them a timeout. We've all been there, where you just say, I need some space, but that's not the reason to give a kid a time. You do it because you say, I want you to learn from this and be better. I want you to yield good fruit in your life. I want us to change our hearts and let God change your heart. I want you to be open to the reproof of the Lord. I want you to be just like Habakkuk. Stand up on the watch post and say, Lord, I, I want to hear what you have to say. I also want to know res- how to respond. What I hear is not what I want to hear. I know you love me. I know you delight in me. So I want to change. I want to I be a person you can talk to. I want to be a person you can correct. One more thought. Have you ever wondered, we mentioned this on Wednesday night, But have you ever wondered how it is that the man 
one of the men that's mentioned more in the New Testament than anybody else. There's Abraham he's mentioned, Moses is mentioned. But the other guy that's mentioned so many times is David. Jesus is called the son of David. David has a special place. God said to David, you won't build my house, but I'll build yours. Your house will endure for generations. Your house will endure forever. God honored David above everyone else. David, the same guy that got a man's wife pregnant, tried to set him up, tried to set that husband up to make him think he got his wife pregnant, but the husband was so loyal, the husband said, no, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm on duty, I'll stand in front of your door. So David had that man killed so that he could have that man's wife. This is the guy that Jesus says, son of David. This is the guy that they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Now that moment, here's the weird thing. David did all of this and still didn't repent until someone called him on it. Do you guys notice that? David didn't come to this conclusion on his own. Sometimes we can be so self-deluded, we don't recognize how far off we've gotten. So God is so gracious that he sends somebody else. And here's one thing we can say about David. He had an open-door policy with a prophet. He let the prophet of God come into his door even when the prophet would say things he didn't like. Nathan shows up into David's court. Now, what does it mean to show up in the king's court? Most likely, it's not just him and David. There's other people there. There's officials there. There's family there. There's people that you want to impress. Nathan walks in, tells him a parable. Says, what would you do to this man who killed the poor, took a poor man's only lamb, took it away, killed him? What would you do to that man? David said, I, I'm, bring him here right now. If he's done that, bring him here. I'll kill him. I'll punish him. And Nathan says, you're the man. That's one time you don't want to hear somebody say you're the man. You're the man. That story was about you. What could David have done? At that moment, he could react. He could have defended himself. His walls could have come up. He, he, could have, he could have gotten angry and said, take this false prophet away. And no one would have argued with him. But instead, he received the Lord's rebuke. And he repented. And because of a heart like that, to this day, we still think of Jesus as the son of David. How will I respond when I'm reproved? The first thing you need to know is I'm loved by God. The second thing you need to do is to say, God, what do you want me to do about it? God, is there something I need to do about this? Because God's not just correcting you so he can prove he's right and you're wrong. He wants to prune you so that you might yield fruit. He wants to train you so that you're going to yield the fruit of righteousness. And I want a church, I want us to be a church of people that are open to whatever God has to say to us. I want us to be a group of people that God can speak frankly with and will receive it because we know our status in Christ is unchanged. I'm not questioning whether or not I'm still good with God. 
I'm not questioning whether or not he still loves me. I'm not questioning. In fact, I have no fear because I know that he's not out to get me. I know that he's not, he's not throwing his wrath on me. I know that Jesus took the wrath of God. So I'm gladly going to take the discipline because I know it's because he loves me. And I want you to believe that above all things. I want you to know Jesus loves you. I want you to know the people around you love you. I want you to know I love you. And I've had plenty of people that, that I preached a sermon that was very positive, but the Holy Spirit spoke through the word of God and corrected something in them. And I, I, I love to see that because that's somebody who's open to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you need a word of encouragement. Sometimes you need somebody to say, way to go, keep going. And other times you need to say, you're doing well, but this is one thing I'd change. And isn't that what Jesus says in the book of Revelation? He says, this is what you're doing right. Now this is what you need to change. Revelation chapter three, he says this, be zealous. He says, don't you know, those that I love, I chastise. Be zealous therefore and repent. I'm going to close with, I said I'd close with this. This is the closing thought, I promise you. This is the closer. I want that to be my reaction when I'm corrected. Number one, my first response is to acknowledge the love of God. My second response is to be zealous. Say, what do I need to do? May I have a heart of repentance. May I be zealous I want you guys to say next time, you're, next time the Lord points something out in your life that doesn't need to be there, it, that's proof he loves me. That's proof he delights in me. That's proof he wouldn't waste his time on somebody that he didn't care about. He loves me. Then I want you to be zealous and repent. Be zealous. What does zealous mean? It means have some zeal, do something with it. You don't find a zealous person sitting on the couch. You find a zealous person going out and doing something with what God's told them. So when God tells you, change this, be zealous with it. Let him do that in you. In fact, the Bible does not say the father gives you pruning shears and say, prune yourself. It says he's the pruner. He's the vine dresser. So he'll fix whatever he points out. All he's asking for you to do is open your heart to him. And if you'll do that, man, God can do great things in your life. Amen. Let's grow up. Let's be disciples taught of the Lord with great peace. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me and let's just, let's just thank God for his goodness.